Hey, Laker fans, welcome to Radio KBE with your host, me, Vinay. You can find me on Twitter at VKillum, that's V-K-I-L-L-E-M. I just want to thank everybody in advance for uh, listening to the podcast and listening to me ramble uh, about the Lakers uh, with what goes through my mind about them on a daily basis. And I also wanted to thank everybody for understanding that uh, I sound like an NPR host when uh, I speak on the mic and I'm firmly aware of that. So I apologize in advance if I bore anybody through the process. But, you know, like I mentioned before, I look forward to talking to everybody in regards to and sharing my thoughts in regard to the Lakers and, you know, any big NBA topics that arise with context and nuance. So the first thing I wanted to talk about in today's podcast was, you know, the most important thing that sort of happened to the Lakers as of late, which is DeMarcus Cousins' ACL tear. So there's a few things I wanted to hit on before we went on and started talking about his possible replacements and sort of the pros and cons of each one of those guys. First and foremost, the thing I wanted to talk about was his return timeline. With ACL tears, typically it takes about 9 to 12 months to sort of fully recover back to a normal state but in DeMarcus's situation it's sort of much more than that because of his Achilles tear and his quad tear just a few months earlier during the playoffs and his Achilles tear obviously about a year year and a half ago now it's pretty clear that you know the Lakers are probably going to end up having to sort of deem DeMarcus out for the entire season I'd be really surprised if they had some sort of timeline where they could get him back and fully rehabbed uh, without possibly being at risk of injuring himself again uh, before the season was over or even before the playoffs at that. So we can pretty effectively count him out for this season. So what does that mean as it relates to just sort of what the Lakers plan on doing with him moving forward? Well, one of the tough things that the Lakers have to figure out moving forward is whether they're going to keep Cousins on the roster or not. Now, most of us have sort of been under the impression that the Lakers are going to go ahead and probably waive Cousins as soon as he's deemed out for the season. And for the most part, we wouldn't think that that's something that's, you know, out of the norm. But in the situation that the Lakers have going on right now, we have to look at things from a historical perspective to better understand why this decision may be a little bit more difficult than we realize. First, Cousins was sort of looking around for different deals and wasn't necessarily the first guy off the table when free agency started. And one of the things that was a very pleasant surprise to Laker fans, and I'm sure to the Lakers themselves, was that Cousins joined the Lakers on a pretty nominal contract. A lot of times people say that Achilles tears sort of signal the end of a career, but we've seen players or players that have had an Achilles tear, we've seen them sort of bounce back to be fairly effective or, you know, not necessarily back to their 100% selves, but still get back to a point where they can be a rotational player. We saw that with Wesley Matthews and just sort of the contracts and the ability that to be effective as a player. We've seen that with Rudy Gay in his tenure with the Spurs. And those are two examples of guys who have had sort of catastrophic injuries, but still match to be very quality rotational players. And for both Wes Matthews and Rudy Gay, they suffered those injuries and still match to have pretty good contracts. So why does that matter to the Lakers? And why does that matter to our situation here with Cousins? Well, if Cousins had a better market for himself, which we don't know whether he did or he didn't, he may have taken a slight discount to come to the Lakers. So 
cutting Cousins may not necessarily be a smart move in terms of sort of the equity that we would get out of it as a as a team, essentially. Uh, if he took a discount to come with the Lakers because Anthony Davis was recruiting him to come here, then the Lakers may feel incentivized or they may feel obligated to keep him on the roster and help him through his rehab and recovery process. And the next thing that we have to sort of think about as fans is just the relationship and the friendship that Cousins has with Davis. We know that he wanted to stay with the Pelicans and the Pelicans didn't want to have Dave, uh, didn't want to have Cousins around because of his injury. And that was sort of a plan that they had together that never came to fruition up until now. Now we're in a situation again uh, with the Lakers where they have an opportunity to just cut him and use that roster spot for somebody else that they think would be a valuable or important rotation player towards a championship run. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that Cousins can't come back to the Lakers the following year. But as it relates to just his friendship with Anthony Davis and maybe Davis helping him get through his rehab from like maybe a mental or a spiritual standpoint, the Lakers may feel incentivized to keep him around and to be part of that rehab and recovery process in hopes that, you know, Cousins can return back to maybe 75% of what he was, which is still a damn good player. An interesting wrinkle to all of this is the director of sports performance at the Lakers, Judy Seto. She was particularly experienced with the Achilles tear when it came to Kobe Bryant. And one of the things that she may be able to help Cousins out with is managing his recovery, his rehab, his strength building in his legs, figuring out exactly what it is that they can do to sort of get him back to a level where he can be a solid contributor to a championship team. So the Lakers may have all the sort of pieces in place to deal with an injury like this. And though many Laker fans, including myself, expect that if the right player comes along, the Lakers may just go ahead and wave Cousins. I don't think it's going to be as easy of a decision as most people think because there is some human equity that you lose and there is a human element to waving a player or cutting a player that you're expecting to be there from the very beginning. Then there's and then there's sort of this final part of the situation with Cousins that the Lakers may try to gamble on. Now, right now, the Lakers are only they only have him for three and a half million for this first year. Now, let's say next year the Lakers turn around and give him maybe slightly more than a minimum deal again the following year, and to retain him on sort of a prove it deal uh, alongside Anthony Davis, thinking that maybe he he can be a quality contributor and and you know flesh out maybe 24 to 30 minutes uh, a game the interesting part of this whole situation is that <clears throat> if the Lakers have him at three and a half this year and they get him for a little bit more than the minimum the following year the year after that the only people that are currently on the books or projected to be on the books are Anthony Davis assuming he resigns which we all expect LeBron, who will have a player option of around 40 million or 43 million, and Kyle Kuzma will be a restricted free agent in 2021. So the year that all these free agents are available, Giannis and all these other sort of the next big free agent classes available to pair alongside Anthony Davis, if the Lakers manage to keep Cousins this year and next year, they'll have Cousins early bird rights the following year. And the reason why that's important is because if next year the Lakers get him out of pretty small number let's say it's five million dollars his cap hold in 2021 won't be high 
Now, we already know that Kyle Kuzma's cap hold is expected to be around $9 million because of where he got drafted. And so when you have two guys who are probably going to be important rotational players at such small cap holds, financially, it sort of makes a lot of sense for the Lakers to have Anthony Davis on his re-signed contract, look at LeBron and say, hey, if you want to stay, you can stay. If you want to leave, you can leave. And the Lakers would still sort of be set up in this situation to go after one or two big free agents to pair along with Anthony Davis and then use their restricted free agent contract with Kyle Kuzma and those early bird rights with Cousins to go over the cap. So the reason why this Cousins situation and this decision process is important now is because it would allow the Lakers two years from now, if Cousins turns out to still be a productive player, it would result in the Lakers being able to go over their cap without having to use and be able to use just their cap space for those high tier free agents that they really want to target to sort of continue the success that we expect to have with Anthony Davis. But that's a conversation for later. And I imagine as the Lakers go and figure out exactly which big man they're going to be replacing Cousins with, they'll sort of evaluate whether they want to keep him on board and whether they do, I would suspect that they'll try and give him another run with his buddy Anthony Davis next year uh, to see if they can continue to be successful. Because one of the things that we have to understand is even a 75% or an 80% effective end DeMarcus Cousins is still pretty damn good. And if we can get him on uh, a nominal contract next year and then have his early bird rights the year after, that could be a tremendous asset for the Lakers uh, moving forward. So let's now talk about who the Lakers can look into to replace DeMarcus Cousins with. Uh, As of right now, we know that the three names that the Lakers are planning on bringing in to sort of try out for the position in that replacement role uh, are Joakim Noah, Dwight Howard, and Maurice Spates. The first person that I want to talk about for this podcast is going to be Dwight Howard. Uh, He's one of the names that's been floated out uh, in regards to just joining the Lakers in in that replacement role uh, for Cousins alongside Anthony Davis. Now, Dwight has a pretty significant history with the Lakers, so I'm not really going to get into uh, a back and forth in regards to or just kind of cover his relationship with Kobe and all that stuff about him being soft and whatnot. The one thing I want to talk about, or there's there's really just two things that I want to talk about as it relates to Dwight. One is his production on the court, and two is how he deals with with his lack of production or how he deals with his sort of personality off the court. So let me cover the first part. Dwight is a productive player. Um, Though he is not a floor spacer and though he is not a shooter, he does very well when it comes to screen and roll. He does a pretty good job defending the rim. Even in space, he does a pretty good job. Because of his reach and his leaping ability, he's able to sort of affect shots and force guys to shoot floaters higher than they would normally would or have to try and like really avoid his range when they go for layups. Uh, he does a pretty good job screening for his teammates uh, and sort of effectively removing defensive guys that are chasing his teammates out of the play. But there is sort of an aspect to his game that is outdated uh, in, in the way that the NBA works today. And what I mean by that is 
is that because he relies so much on his athleticism and because he relies so much on sort of his strength, a lot of times he's one of those players or one of those centers who gets stuck with getting called for offensive fouls when he's trying to battle for rebounds or gets called for uh, offensive fouls when he's screening other guys. So in sort of a league where screening and rebounding and all these other things on the offensive end that are important uh, for like a flowing offense, Dwight still is a little clumsy when it comes to those sort of things. Now, it doesn't mean he can't be effective or, you know, in the right lineups or if used the right way, he can't be effective. It just means that there's a level of sort of IQ that's involved in understanding how refs make certain calls and how the refs are calling screens or how the refs are calling the physicality in the game. And one of the more frustrating parts with Dwight uh, over his career has been when the game gets really physical, he's a strong guy, but he doesn't pick the right time sometimes to, to use that physicality. He'll do it right in front of a ref and get baited right into an offensive foul, which kind of kills the possession. And, you know, back when he was in Orlando, he could sort of get away with it because, you know, it was Orlando. Refs gave him a benefit of the doubt. It wasn't too much of an issue. And, you know, he was sort of a young guy up and coming and had a positive relationship with sort of everybody around him and had a lot of uh, positive perception around him. But as his career has sort of continued, he's begun to rely more and more on that physicality. Um, you know, as his athleticism sort of comes down a little bit and as the players around him and the offensive players who go at him get smarter. So that's something of a concern. He doesn't necessarily have the craftiness uh, out of that position that the Lakers would want or the IQ out of that position that the Lakers would want uh, on the offensive end. But he's still a tremendous defensive player. Now, the other part that's important here is what his expectations with that position are. If he expects to play 30 minutes a game, I'm not quite sure that's going to work. And if he wants to play crunch time minutes, even if he's not being effective, you know, I don't know if that's going to work either. But there's definitely a lot to be said in regards to whether he's a good fit next to Anthony Davis. He definitely is because he's definitely built to handle guys like Embiid and Jokic uh, at that position. And he is a tremendous rim defender, which means also that maybe Anthony Davis wouldn't have to play outside defense as much. But can he stay out of the way of the offense? That's something that I think is a little bit difficult for Dwight. So what about the second thing that I was mentioning? Now, one of the issues that seems to continually come up no matter where Dwight is at is sort of the off-court, off-the-court sort of things that go on in his life. Now, TMZ NBA or NBA TMZ, whatever you want to call it, it's definitely there. And Dwight isn't one of those players who necessarily is always in the limelight for negative things like that, but he has his fair share of moments. And one of my biggest concerns with Dwight is that coming to the Lakers the first time around, it seemed as though he was sort of able to withstand some of the scrutiny that comes with putting on a Laker jersey and him having sort of difficulties in the locker room with Kobe was sort of an issue and it sort of played itself out on the court not only did it play itself out on the court obviously it played out when it came to uh, re-signing with the Lakers and ultimately what he ended up doing afterwards when I listen to some of the interviews that Dwight does as of late in regards to him talking about how he's sort of crushed his ego and how he's talked about, um, you know, 
coming to a realization of the kind of person he is and what he needs to do to be an effective player and an effective person in the locker room. That's all fine and dandy. But Kobe's no longer in the locker room anymore for the Lakers. Now the main leader leaders are LeBron and Anthony Davis. And for the most part, both of those guys tend to blend pretty well with their teammates they're not um abrasive personalities and they're not they're not guys who will hold hold their teammates to like a level of standard that you know that is unrealistic but one of the things that concerns me as relates specifically to dwight joining the lakers is whether he can actually withstand sort of the media as it surrounds lebron Uh, A while back, Kevin Durant mentioned that there's sort of a level of toxic media that exists around LeBron. And, you know, to some degree, he's right. No other player in this league has really, at least in my mind, been picked apart to the level of detail that LeBron has. It's gotten to the point now where recently in this offseason, things like what what school his kids decide to enroll in what his fatherhood principles are about and what he does as a parent have become topics on the national stage. And the reason why that's an important example or that's something that's important to talk about is because there's a lot of spillage from the media when it comes to these sort of things. If LeBron being, let's say, quote unquote, the face of the league is being picked apart like this and he's the best player on your roster, What do you think is going to happen to his teammates who either have bad games or have drama of their own? Well, we've already seen some of that when Anthony Davis requested a trade out of New Orleans and listed the Lakers as one of those destinations. He was automatically just destroyed by the media. Folks in New Orleans, uh, some folks in national media took any possible shot that they can uh, as it relates to his character as it relates to his production, as it relates to anything that involves his life for the most part outside of his family and questioned his commitment to, you know, want to stay with the Pelicans and questioned his commitment as it relates to, you know, whether his character is quality or not or if he's just a guy who's only selfish and interested in himself. Now, Anthony Davis wasn't even a Laker at the time. But it's pretty clear that everybody was tying Anthony Davis's request directly to the Lakers because both Davis and LeBron share the same agent, which is fine. But the thing here that we have to understand is that Anthony Davis did do a pretty good job of just ignoring the media. He basically took a page out of LeBron's book and, you know, maybe did some passive aggressive things here and there, which is, you know, expected. Some guys have to let off steam here and there somehow. But for the most part, he kind of kept his mouth shut. He didn't go out of his way to disparage anybody in the media. He didn't go out of his way to disparage his teammates. He was always active in the process with New Orleans, even though they kept trying to tank and blaming him for for that. A lot of things that went on this in the past six months as it relates to Anthony Davis and his trade request out is a good example of the kind of stuff that's going to happen to any Laker that's around LeBron whether it was opposing fans or even Laker fans within themselves, there's a lot of scrutiny applied to anybody wearing that Laker jersey. And when LeBron joined the Lakers, that was amplified by 100. My concern as it relates to Dwight joining the Lakers is exactly that. 
With Kobe, we knew exactly where the issue was coming from. And it was a philosophical issue between what Kobe believed in and what Dwight believed in and sort of who wanted to be the priority where. But with LeBron, LeBron's not the type of guy to sort of fight with his teammates in that sense. He may be passive aggressive from time to time, but for the most part, he just wants to win. But if his teammates around him aren't as successful as he is, or if it's clear that his teammates are the reason why he's not successful, or it's clear that the team is not successful because of one of his teammates, one of the most difficult things that happens is that those teammates get thrown under the bus significantly and often. My main concern with Dwight as it relates to his personality is whether he can withstand the level of scrutiny that comes along with being LeBron's teammate. We've seen with players like Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and Chris Bosh that fans that don't like LeBron around the league and or fans uh, who are vehement supporters of LeBron and won't accept any negativity towards him, they'll go after LeBron's teammates no matter what. And a lot of times that criticism that they get is very unfounded and when Kevin Durant said that the toxicity that surrounds LeBron is very difficult to be around I think he was talking about what happens as it relates to the fan bases that both support him and that are against him and that's really where my concern for Dwight comes in if Dwight could barely handle getting criticism from Kobe Bryant how is he going to be able to handle people in the media as well as fans who are Braun fans and fans who hate the Lakers how is he going to handle that sort of scrutiny that comes his way and how is he going to prevent that from affecting his relationships with his teammates and prevent it from affecting the locker room in general if there's one thing that we know that's important to the Lakers and one thing that Rob Polinka with some of his decision making has sort of made clear a quality locker room in terms of sort of keeping a positive environment and a cohesive environment is really important to the Lakers. And if for any reason, if Dwight ends up having issues, whether they're personal or whether it's because of something else altogether, if that's going to affect his mind state and his relationship in the locker room with other players, I'm not sure he's the best fit there. The other name the Lakers have mentioned as a possible replacement for DeMarcus Cousins is Joakim Noah. Now that's a name that most fans of LeBron uh, aren't particularly happy to hear, but Laker fans are probably a little indifferent. Noah spent his time after the Bulls with the Knicks on a tenure with them that didn't necessarily work out. Eventually, he ended up making it to Memphis uh, last season where he ended up spending some time on their roster, uh, showing that he was still a relatively effective player. Now with Noah, there's also two things that I want to discuss and the first one is the same thing that we discussed for Dwight. We already know that Noah is a quality defensive player and he's embraced the role of being a defensive communicator back from his days with the Florida Gators in college and that's something that he prides himself on as a player. One of the other things that we know about Noah is he's extremely competitive even in games that you know he may be completely outmatched in. Noah bringing his defensive intensity to the Lakers sounds like something that's just sort of a perfect match. He still sort of has the same issues that Dwight presents on the offensive end, that he's not a floor spacer and a floor spreader that that we really want out of that position. That's something that is going to be very tough to replace when it comes to sort of replacing Cousins. But he does bring 
the same sort of defensive acumen that Dwight Howard brings. However, he does it in a different way. While Dwight uses his athleticism and his timing and his leaping ability and his size to prevent easy looks for offensive players, Noah uses a little bit more craftiness and IQ when it comes to his defensive ability. He still has a lot of length, but he doesn't necessarily have the same level of athleticism that Dwight does uh, when it comes to affecting players' shots. But what he lacks in athleticism, he definitely makes up for in IQ. Between his communication on the defensive end, as well as his ability to recover and rotate to help out his teammates, Noah does seem like a pretty good fit when compared to Dwight. One of the main reasons why I like Noah, or I prefer Noah over Dwight, is mainly because even though he's not a great shooter on the offensive end, he is actually a very effective passer and can actually run the break sometimes depending on what the situation is going in transition on the other end. Now, one of the things I want to bring up to Laker fans is this, is that even though a big man can't shoot, doesn't necessarily mean that they can't be effective in the offense. When I talked about Dwight earlier, I mentioned that his screening is really good, but sometimes because of his sort of lack of IQ or or just kind of lack of awareness when it comes to understanding how refs are making calls, he tends to draw offensive fouls and sort of kill the flow of the game. Noah does actually a better job at recognizing something like that. Usually when he screens, he's able to remove the chasing defender completely out of the play so that his teammates are able to get good looks. But at the same time, even if Noah is out on the perimeter setting screens, he's still a pretty effective passer to his teammates. And if nothing else, he's an effective role man out of those situations. So if you want to imagine with me, imagine Anthony Davis standing on the right-hand side of the court, sort of in the high post, face up, looking to make a pass and then imagine Noah going and screening somebody on the opposite side let's say it's Kuzma or let's say it's Green on a down screen for just sort of a catch and shoot opportunity now in those sort of situations Davis can probably hit Green and and or if Green isn't open Noah can dive to the basket and finish at the rim that sort of action and that sort of flow in the offense may not necessarily be there with Dwight and that's something that's important because even though Noah may not may be on the same level as Dwight when it comes to his shooting ability he is still a smart player and when it comes to sort of playing that big man position being a smart player can go a long way now unlike Dwight Noah doesn't necessarily have those sort of off the court issues that the Lakers sort of expect or you know are hoping that you know any incoming players won't have but Noah does sort of have a testy history with LeBron himself he's gone in some previous interviews and talked about how he'd love to play with the Lakers or you know he'd be happy to be in Los Angeles if we called on him and it's clear that he may still have some good years left in him and he's sort of looking for a situation to be able to kind of have a chance at a championship as long as his discrepancies with LeBron are out of the way I suppose it's not that much of an issue One of the more underrated aspects of Noah possibly joining the Lakers is that 
he sort of keeps the rest of the team accountable. And one of the things that we've sort of learned over LeBron's tenure is that when he has teammates that keep him accountable, he stays sharp himself. And Noah may just be the type of player that the Lakers need in that locker room to sort of keep that entire team accountable, especially, uh, you know, when games are slowly sort of falling apart or where there's a lack of flow or if there's a lack of defensive effort. Adding a guy like Noah to the team compared to maybe somebody like Dwight, who's maybe a little bit too casual as it relates to his locker room presence, sort of keeps the team sharp. And if Coach Vogel or Coach Kidd or assistant coach Lionel Hollins, if they find value in having a sort of communicator like that or somebody who will keep the team sharp on the defensive end important, I would suspect that Noah is probably going to be the guy that's penned in for that DeMarcus Cousins replacement role. Now, I don't have to really spend too much time talking about Noah because he doesn't really come with the baggage that other players come with or other potential replacements may come with. And he seems like he's almost a natural fit uh, alongside Anthony Davis. But the question is still also there for a player like Noah. He's extremely competitive and he wants to play. Will 16 to 20 minutes be enough for a guy like him? Or will or will he want to play in crunch time minutes, even if they don't necessarily need him in that position? Having that chemistry with the roster and that willingness to just do whatever it takes to win is important. From everything that I've seen as it relates to Noah, that's all he really cares about. He's a supportive guy off the bench. He's supportive of his teammates. And if anything else, he's probably one of the best at being a nuisance uh, to other teams when it comes to those small things on the court like trash talking and making it difficult to communicate with your teammates. In the end, if I had to choose between Noah or Dwight, and I know I mentioned Maurice Spates a second ago, but we sort of know what he already brings. He's not necessarily a rim defender, but out of the three, he's probably the best shooter and the best floor spacer. And he's really played that role significantly for other teams like the Clippers and the Warriors, obviously. So we sort of know what he brings there. But I'm not sure that Spates is sort of built for a starting role or a role that involves him playing significant minutes alongside Anthony Davis. So if I had to choose between Noah and Dwight, I would probably lean towards Noah, mainly because he brings some of those intangible things that the team probably lacks. In games or situations where LeBron decides to be passive-aggressive, Noah may step up and be the guy who sort of keeps the ship together or makes sure that everybody is on track. When LeBron feels like being lazy, I would expect a guy like Noah to sort of keep him in check and be vocal when it comes to accountability on the court. And that's sort of something that is important to the entire team because it seems like for a guy like Noah, the most important thing is winning a championship and winning the game. Well, Laker fans, I'd like to thank everybody for joining me on this first episode of Radio KBE. Again, you can find me on Twitter at vkillum, V-K-I-L-L-E-M. I look forward to hearing your feedback as it relates to this podcast uh, and or the topics that we talked about, DeMarcus Cousins' long-term future with the Lakers, or even who he should be replaced with, Noah, Dwight, Spates, or maybe somebody else. And with that, I wish everybody a a great day or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. And I hope your days or nights are filled with purple and gold. Till then.